We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and um, welcome to a recording of Sunday morning's message um, from Sunday the 22nd of January. My name's Chris and I got the joy on Sunday of preaching in our Exodus series which we've called God's Treasured Possession and I spoke from the uh, from Exodus chapters 7 to 10. Fortunately I, I didn't read them all and I'm not going to read them all now. Um, but I do want to share um, so you can catch up um, the things that I, I shared on Sunday. Now, um, the whole series, we call it God's Treasured Possession because that's what he calls his people in the, in the book. In Exodus, he calls them, in Exodus 19, you are my treasured possession, my holy nation, my royal priesthood. And that's what he says about his people. And that's who we are today and this particular uh, passage that we're going to be looking at is all about heart and actions and how heart and actions marry up and how they match together and as we start on this week of prayer and fasting we were reminded on Sunday that um, the the kind of spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and we there is always this kind of tension between our heart and our desires and what we want to do but then our flesh and what we actually do and Paul talks about that doesn't he about oh I, the, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do and we're in a we're in a battle and often the battle is just turning up in the first place to pray and so there's a good encouragement for all of us to come and pray and today there's going to be a good encouragement for us to when we hear God speaking to not have hard hearts but soft hearts to allow our hearts to impact then our decisions and our actions and to let the two marry up and we will see that Pharaoh as he go as we go through the plagues I've called this morning's title let my people go because what we're going to have is we're going to have Moses the man of God coming to Pharaoh and convicting him of his sin and Pharaoh will have different responses to them and sometimes you'll see he doesn't listen and um, doesn't want to know sometimes he asks for prayer and he recognizes sins and God is in the right and he has this almost like heart response but then a few days later he hardens his heart and changes his mind and so we're going to read about that so we're going to um we're, we're going to look through all uh all of the chapters all the four chapters but I'm going to start off by just reading uh, one chapter uh, so we're going to do I'll read chapter 7 from verse 14 and this is the first plague which is the plague of blood then the Lord said to Moses Pharaoh's heart is unyielding he refuses to let the people go so go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake and that's what happened earlier on in, in the few chapters just before where God was encouraging Moses to be brave and to not be afraid and hear some signs and wonders to help him to know that, you know, who God is. Um, then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. 
by this you will know that I am the Lord. These are the reasons the plagues are going to happen. So that Pharaoh knows that he is the Lord. With the staff that is in your hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. This is the first plague. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt even in vessels of wood and of stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. And here's some key verses. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said instead he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart and all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink water the water of the river so what we're going to see over these remaining plagues is a pattern just like we've seen in this first plague a pattern where Moses comes, this man of God comes and confronts Pharaoh. Pharaoh um, says, no, not, not going to do what you've asked. Then the plagues come. And then once the plagues have come, we get these different responses from Pharaoh. So in this chapter, we got these, his like magicians. Well, they managed to do the same things through their dark arts. And they managed to do that once or twice. But later on, they, they can't do that anymore. And they, they tell Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, you need, to, you need to repent. You need to turn. This is the real God. You need to go up. But he hardens his heart. Sometimes he just says, go away from it. I'm not listening. Sometimes you'll see he, he asks for prayer and forgiveness or he asks for it to stop. And then what happens is it does stop. And then everything, all his heart response, it then kind of dies away. He hardens his heart. He changes his mind and he says no to the people. So uh, I'm going to show a little table now to show these different responses. So we've got the plague of blood where Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen. And in chapter eight, we get then the plague of frogs. And uh, we find out that all the frogs come. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. And this time Pharaoh says, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. And I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so Moses goes away and they do that. And then in verse 15, we find out, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief in the land, there was no more frogs. He hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. The next plague then happens, and that's the plague of gnats. And it says in verse 18, Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But it says Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. So then we get the plague of flies. And here on the day, it, it says, uh, God, God says, but on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where the people live. No swarm of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. And what we find out in this plague, that God decides now to separate, to make a distinction between his people and the Egyptians. 
And so the, the flies come and Pharaoh says, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. And so he does. So, so Moses is like, okay, great. The plague ceases. And then towards the end in verse 30 and 32, the flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not one fly remained. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Okay, so then we get the livestock. Pharaoh investigated and found that even not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. So we get an unyielding heart. And then we get the boils. It says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had uh, said to Moses. And so this time, so you, you've had now the blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock. And each time Pharaoh has been hardening his heart, hardening his heart, hardening his heart. And now we get to the point where it says, it's this bit of a strange verse. Now the Lord hardened his heart. And it's a bit like what we read about in Romans that he's like, fine. Well, if you're going to keep hardening heart, then I'll give you over to the desires of your heart. And now we see in one or two of these plagues, it, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that happens here. But it also says, and Pharaoh would not listen. Pharaoh's complicit in all of this heart hardening. And God is just kind of giving him over to that. Fine. If you want to harden your heart, you go ahead and do it. Then we get the hail. So the hell comes throughout Egypt. Hell struck everything in the fields. This is uh, chapter nine, verse 25. Both people and animals. It beat down on everything growing in the fields and it stripped every tree. The only place it did not howl was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. So again, here we get this distinction between um, the Egyptians and the Israelites. And it's amazing. Really. I mean, I wonder what that must have looked like to have massive balls of hail like raining down apart from this one little area where the Israelites are so then Pharaoh he summoned Moses and said this time I have sinned the Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong so pray to the Lord for we have had enough thunder and hell and I will let you go you don't have to stay any longer he gets this real big heart response and the hell stops and when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had stopped he sinned again. He and his and his officials this time harden their heart. Then we get the plague of locusts. Um, and it says in verse 16 of chapter 10, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, again, I have sinned. This is his heart response. I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away. He, Moses does that. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. Verse 20 of chapter 10, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. And then we get the plague, plague of darkness. And, it's, and darkness covered all the land apart from, again, the, uh, the Goshen where the Israelites are. And it says, again, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing. So this is Pharaoh, was not willing to let them go. And Pharaoh now says to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see me, you will die. And then the very last plague is the one we're going to hear about next week, which is the plague of death and judgment, which is to be coming on the firstborn of, uh, of every family.
So as you can, as you heard, and as you can see in our diagram, you get throughout um, the plagues, we get this Moses, this man of God, coming to Pharaoh to confront him of his sin. And then we see these variety of responses and these, these different type of heart attitudes. And in fact, as we go through the book of Exodus and as we have been, heart attitude has been a key thread that has come through. We saw that with the midwives, that they, they loved God, they feared God, they kept, they, their heart was with God and their actions matched up with the heart. And so instead of killing the young boys that they were asked to by Pharaoh in secret, they, they work out salvation and rescue for them. Their heart and their actions kind of match up and God then blesses them. We then get Moses, who um, he has a heart for salvation and he sees his fellow Hebrew who's been oppressed by an Egyptian and he steps in to strike and he strikes down, he kills the Egyptian. And so his heart is for salvation and rescue. But here there's a bit of a distinction and I guess it's because he's doing it all out of his own strength. He's doing it out of his own sense of pride. And really that's what pride, that's pride is. It's, yeah, I can do this. I can rescue. I'm the big man. I'm going to come and save the day. And then... He gets, he gets sent out into the wilderness. It's a bit of a blessing that he goes out into the wilderness and God now shapes him differently. 40 years later, as we read a few weeks ago, he then comes to God. God reveals himself to him at the burning bush. And here he then responds, well, who am I? It's a very different response to the first one to, oh yeah, I can do it. I'll save the day. He's like, well, who am I that I can do this? But I want to put it to you that it's, it's pride as well. The first one is, oh, look at me, I'm so big or bad, and I can, I can bring salvation. The second one, well, who am I to do this? And the reason why it's both pride is because I am at the centre of both. It's all about me in both his responses. And God decides, oh, yeah, he's not going to answer that question, who am I? He's going to tell him, it's not about you, it's about me, and I will be with you, and I will, I will go, and these are the signs and wonders that I will bring on the land to set my people free. And out of that then, ah, Moses gets it. It's not about me. It's not about my pride. It's not about how good I am. It's not about how bad I am. Actually, it's all about God, this amazing king that's with him. Later on, the Israelites get freed and they go in, go into the wilderness. They're set free. And again, it's a, what's their heart attitude going to be like? Sometimes it's gratefulness. Often it's grumbling. And right here in the middle of it all, we get these plagues. And again, we get it's all about heart attitude. You see how many times it was all about heart, heart in his heart and then actions. And what did he do? You know, Jesus, he is the man of God and he comes and confronts us of our sin. And it's so easy sometimes to be in church on Sundays and to hear talks and messages. And we have a heart response. Yes, you're right, God. I have sinned and you pray for yourself and and you resolve, I'm I'm never going to do that sin again. I'm not going to do that again. But then a few days later, your heart gets hardened. That feeling from Sunday has passed and you're back doing the very thing that you promised God you weren't going to do again. It's so easy for our hearts to be the same. It's so easy for us to hear God's voice, to listen, to hear, but then not to put it into action because where we get hard-hearted one day we say yes the next day we say no so what types of things um because G, uh, moses sorry moses comes to 
Pharaoh and says, let go, let my people go. And you know what? It's so easy today for Christians to hold on to things that just bind them up. They hold on to things that slavery, you know, we, we sang songs on Sunday about how we are free and we're accepted. And, you know, we, we're, we were once beggars, but now we're royalty and we, we come into this wonderful relationship and we can sing all these amazing songs. And yet it's so easy for Christians to live like they were still in slavery, to go back into the cage, to put the chains back on and to, to live like we're chained to all these sinful things. It's so easy for us to do that. And yet we're actually free people. It's like someone who's been released from prison, walking back into prison and People do that often because it's a place of security. It's a place of identity. And um, I ask people on Sunday, hey, what types of things do Christians often enslave themselves back into? Types, the, things of, the types of answers that came up were porn, sexual immorality, money, uh, greed, anger, um, uh, kind of control, uh, sense of security. There's, there's all sorts of things that we can hold on to our, our identity in our workplace, our identity on social media, things that we can hold on, we can enslave ourselves by. And what they do is they're like life debilitating issues that can prevent us from living out the way in which God has truly called us to live out. And so my encouragement is if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because what I'd like to do is I, I, I was just praying and I felt there's three key areas that are issues for us today as Christians in the UK, in Guildford, that it's too easy for us to enslave ourselves to, to bind ourselves into. And I believe that God will call us out of that. He'll be calling you and me to let go of these things and to step into the new and you might have heard that you know three key things that can cause people to sin are money sex and power and i'm gonna call them instead of that i'm gonna call them measure treasure pleasure and measure let's start with measure measure is the idea it's like it's like identity how do i measure up against other people against society against expectations that people have on me and it's that that sense of identity it's that sense of power it's that sense of control it's that sense of security it's that sense of status and this is one of pharaoh's big issues but who is this god to tell me that i've got to let my these people go these are my slaves these are my workforce these are the people that you know they build my temples they build they build my pyramid they build all the things in in my provinces and who am i to who is this king i am the king of my castle. This is Pharaoh's thing. He measures himself up against God and says, no, I'm not letting your people go. You know, we live in a society that's more connected than ever, yet there's rising loneliness, anxiety, mental health, fear. It all comes from a loss of identity. It comes from that Moses question, well, who am I? Who am I? It's a big question for our, our culture today. Is like this, this sense of who am I? What is my identity? And people are searching all around to find their identity. And as Christians, we can find that in God. As chosen, treasured, children, forgiven, loved by him. But all this kind of, this thinking, this kind of trying to grab power or control or security from the wrong places, what it does, it all comes out of um, pride. That sense of thinking of ourselves too highly or not thinking of ourselves uh, highly enough, you know, and just missing the mark. And what, how that then presents itself, it presents itself in control. It presents itself in anger. It presents itself in unhealthy drive for ambition. 
It presents itself of treating others without mercy, or even worse, treating yourself without mercy, never never being good enough, never meeting your own standards, always beating yourself up because you're not quite cutting it as a father, as a parent, as a colleague, as a mother, as a child. It's a it's sees itself, it comes out in this need for achievement or, or a focus on weight or looks or appearance or status or social media presence. It it comes out at just yeah, not being good enough. And you know, I felt as I prepared this talk last week that some people had words have had words spoken over them by their parents or by significant people in their life, maybe a teacher they particularly looked up to, or or a boss or something, and they just feel like they're always viewed in that way. And sometimes they even play up to that stereotype. And I just believe there is freedom to be found in God. It can play itself out in a constant need for approval, and it can be life-debilitating, and then that can lead to overeating. It leads to comfort uh, comfort food it leads to gambling it leads to finding comfort in porn or in drink or escapism in gaming or all sorts of different things and i just believe jesus is calling us to let go to let go of finding our identity in all the things of this world and to find it in him instead Back in 2021, as we were coming out of the pandemic, I felt like I just needed to do some work in my own life and just, you know, just thinking about my own life. And um, so I did something called a STEPS course. And STEPS is a course whereby um, it's like a bit like AA. So it's like the 12 steps program. AA obviously is for alcohol addiction, but this is for anything, any kind of um, life inhibiting behaviours that you just want to address and you want to change. Whether that's mental things like treating yourself without mercy or always trying to uh, seek the approval of others and uh, or... Um, it, it could be for addictions like gambling or pornography or drink or or anything, you know, or social media or gaming. It could be for anything, for for kind of life-controlling habits that you just, these patterns of behaviour that you just, you know, you've had enough and you just want to let go. This 12 Steps course programs helps you to find the root of these issues and to find how Jesus can fill those things and help you to think about that and take control of these things and and I guess to submit them to the lordship of Christ and and let go and and uh, step away from them and uh, it's it's a really great course and I just want to show a very short video it's like thirty seconds just um, where it just says what types of things might you work on in the steps course. I was working on a fear of rejection. I settled on perfectionism. There was a feeling of like, I'm not worth it. It was around the need to always be right. I had been increasingly aware of some negative thought patterns and I guess beliefs about my own self-worth. Uh, the most recent time I did steps, I was working on my fear of taking up space. I realised I was in this vicious circle that I couldn't break out of. And I wasn't really sure what it was. I knew there was something going on. Um, and I guess I was just, just fed up. Uh, and steps seemed to be the way forward for me. It seemed to be the way that I could find freedom. So there you go. One of the things I found really helpful about doing the steps course was that 
no one else on the course knew me. And so I thought about, oh, do we run this as a church? But then you're going to be in a room with everyone that you see every day. And maybe there'll come a time where it's a good thing for us to do that. But for now, I just want to recommend it to you. Um, and yes, for me, I found, so I did a church leaders one. So I was in a room with all other church leaders and they don't know me. I don't know them. And I can just talk honestly. And the way the format works is that it's actually a conversation between you and God and the other people are just listening in. And so you take full accountability of your own reflections each week as you come and share them on the course. And you, you take accountability for what steps you're going to do. You, you come up with all that and you do that uh, in private and then other people listen. And what's quite great about it is that as you hear other people talking to God and talking to him about what they're going to do and how they're finding and what their reflections are, it actually helps you to realise, do you know what? I'm not the only one. Everyone has issues that they need to work through. And everyone can find their true identity in Christ. So there you go, stepscourse.org. Why don't you check it out? But that, so that's one thing. That's one area that we can struggle in in our society is how we measure up uh, against others. It's that whole kind of sense of where we get our power and control from. But another area is treasure. And Matthew six twenty four says, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You know, your, your bank statement does not lie. It is one of the best measures of your discipleship and your heart attitudes towards God that you can ever find. Because what it does, is it reveals the things that you choose to invest the most of your, your money in. It, sh- it shows you where your heart is. That's what Jesus says. You know, where your money is, that's where your heart will be. And... It's this, it's an, it is that heart issue. It's another heart issue that we can have and that we can be enslaved to. And uh, the love of money, it can kill spiritual health and it can enslave people. As, as we look to that for a kind of a sense of security or sense of future security or all sorts of different things, we can look to money or possessions or things for that. And Jesus says, you know what, it's better to give than receive. It is better to give than receive. You know, 15% of all of Jesus' teaching was on money. It's the highest, it's, it's, it's the thing that he spoke more about than any other issue. And so if we were going to speak about it in the same ratio as Jesus did, then we'd be speaking about money on eight Sundays of, of every year. And, uh, but it's good for me to mention it today. I know we don't talk about it that much often, but it is good for me to mention. And as I was preparing this talk, I, I just felt God giving me this phrase, which is grace goes further than the law grace goes further than law um and the reason why i felt that is because often jesus goes further than the law so you've got the old testament and we're going to hear in a few weeks about the ten commandments and um that i guess it's easy for christians to kind of have a, a tick box exercise and we saw that throughout the new testament as different people come to jesus and jesus response always goes further than law so a person comes up to him and says well shall i forgive seven times and he goes no you should give 70 times seven times and shall i turn one cheek no you should turn the other cheek you should turn two shall i walk one mile jesus said no i should walk two um what about adultery shall i you know not shall i commit adultery but the the law says do not commit adultery and jesus goes further and says well don't even think lustful thoughts in your heart the law says uh, do not murder and jesus says well don't even uh, think hateful thoughts in your heart the law says do not steal and Jesus said well don't even covet someone else's donkey or ass or possessions or whatever. 
Jesus goes further and grace goes further. The, you know, Jesus talks about parables. Of, well, don't walk on the other side. Walk on the same side. Get down on your knees. Help the person in the, in the dirt. Call for help and then pay the bill to make sure all the help is delivered and given to them. When someone came to him and said, oh, Lord, I fulfilled all the law. Jesus says, no, go further and go and sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. The Old Testament law had limits. It had a ceiling. 10%. Give 10%. Tick your box. But the New Testament has no limits. You can never outgive God. He encouraged us to go into extravagant, generous giving and, and to think about our money and our possessions. Actually, everything is God's. It's all 100% God's. And instead, we should think about what should we keep? What should we live off rather than what should we give? It's all God's anyway. It's all his. You know, when I uh, first came to this church, uh, as a church, um, we gave 5% of our income away and actually I was preparing to uh, do a, a small series of talks on giving and I felt no no and I was told the trustees now I can't talk on this until we've got our giving in order and so we worked over that first year of me being here to build up our giving to 10% and, and to, so that we could be giving 10% away so at least we could be starting at the launch pad of the law before we move on and you know amazingly we just had our vision night last week and it was great to see that just this last year we gave away 14% it was over £23,000 that we gave away to local hope works and charities and to those in need and to commission and to our apostolic movement to plant new churches and to reach new nations and to to support existing leaders and it's fantastic and you know it's uh, I often have shown this flower in the past to help us all think about our giving. And so my encouragement is for everyone, if you've never given in your life, or to take a step by making a gift, a one-off gift. And if you have given one-off gifts in the past, why don't you look to make regular gifts and make it a regular habit to give money away. As Jesus says, it's better to give than receive. And if you are used to giving regularly, well, why don't you take a step further and and you know, and work towards giving a tithe, giving 10%. This this thing that Jesus, he didn't, didn't abolish it, he encouraged us to continue to give to his work. This church that he, he died for the church. That's what Ephesians tells us. And so we should love the things that Jesus loves. He loves the church. And if you're giving your 10%, well, then you've got a wonderful adventure to go on with God as you then seek to, to go above and beyond. And you, the world is your oyster. You can never outgive God and I know that for me and Catherine um, one of the hardest steps actually was going to regular giving towards giving 10% and there was a time in our lives where um, we together our whole household combined income was less than the one you know average UK kind of wage it was really low but we believed in this principle of giving and so we made sure we kept our giving up but in order to to do that and and also to to live properly we we cut down on other things so we we had one mobile that we shared between us we got rid of our cars and we just cycled and walked everywhere we got rid of a tv license any subscriptions and things like that we just cut back but we didn't cut back on our giving it was always proportional um, because we felt it was important to keep our hearts in the right place to give to the things that god loves grace goes further than the law and if you're not sure then my question would be to ask you know does knowing God's grace does knowing everything he's done for us by sending his son from heaven to earth mean that we should give less than what the Israelites gave does it mean that we should go less than the law we have 
Absolutely, we have freedom to give what you want. There's no compulsion. There is freedom and mercy and grace in the kingdom of God. But if we've grasped all that Jesus has done, surely we want to go further than the law and we want to do all that we can. And that's and that is a wonderful journey to go on. We can all do it. It's been delighted to see how the church has gone in this journey and we want to keep going that individually and together uh, as 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 families and as part of this church. So come on, let's not treasure be a stronghold in our lives. And it you know, it might be that you're feeling your heart harden even as I say that. And I'll just, my encouragement would be, well, why don't you, you know, you don't need to make any steps. Why don't instead you go and maybe take some time to read what Jesus says on giving and just do a bit of a Bible study throughout the New Testament. What does Jesus say on your money? And and allow, just say, come to him with a soft heart. Say, God, I want you to speak to me through this area. Or maybe you do want to start giving and why don't you just try it out for six months and just see what God does in your life and pray as you do it and give thanks to God as, as you give. There you go. Okay, and then the last area is pleasure. I remember the first time that I viewed porn. It was when I was about 13 or 14 years old and I walked into one of my friend's houses and in his house he had a DVD player and it was, you know, DVDs was amazing at that time. It was so much better than video cassettes, which is what I had in my house. Uh, Great clarity and screens. And I remember he had all these like kind of bootleg DVDs and a bunch of them were porn. And so we were sitting around, a bunch of us sitting and watching porn in his room. Uh, not long after that, this is on a 13, 14, when I was at university, very similar things happened. At a friend's house, hanging around, they're watching porn. It's, porn is everywhere. Now, pleasure is not, you know, we can find pleasure in all sorts of unhelpful things, um, like gambling, like drug addictions, like alcohol. And, you know, we know that sex is good and it's made for marriage, but there are some, there are sexual immoral things that can really enslave us and hold us back. And so I just want to talk about porn this morning. It's just one area uh, because I know that it's a big area for our society and our communities and it's no different in the church. You know, the average age that people now view porn, it used to be in secondary school. It's now in primary school. It's on tablets, it's on phones. And one of the big reasons why porn is such an issue in our society is because it is so accessible, it's affordable, and you can be anonymous. And there are three things that Andy Ralcon has said about um, the reason, the rise in pornography and the damage it does. It's the accessibility, the affordability, and anonymity. See, when I was younger with my friends, it was much harder to access porn. You had to go and buy it. You had to go and uh, find it on a DVD or on a magazine. You had to hide it, if you know, to keep it away from your parents. And it wasn't affordable. You had to go and pay for it. Even if you were paying from bootleg from someone's car, you had to go and pay for it. And you weren't anonymous. You, you walk in the shop, people can see your face. They can see what you're buying. And yet now... You can just flick up in your mobile phone, in any place, anywhere, anytime. It's really accessible. It's free. You know, you don't have to pay for it. I guess you have to pay for some of it, but it's so easy to get free stuff online. And you can be anonymous. There's no shop. There's no sign up. There's no place you have to go. You can just be in the private of your own house, in your own space, anonymous, free, accessible. And in the past, you had to remember to hide your stuff or delete your history. You don't even have to do that now. You can just click on private window or whatever and you can it's so easy 
to find it. And it's a big problem in our society and it distorts people's view of sex. It's all selfish. It's all after our own gain. And so it means that we, you know, we can view sex and, you know, a sexual experience of others all about getting my own pleasure and my own gain and my own fulfillment and not about giving um, and receiving together uh, this this sex. It can ruin relationships. And if you get caught, it can cause devastation to, to that special relationship that you have with your spouse. And it can cause all sorts of problems. And it's a complete own goal. And it's really important for parents and for all of us to be aware of this. Because, like I said already, most people first view porn when they're in primary school ages. 67% of under 16 year olds admit to clearing their browser history on a regular basis or after viewing porn. 90% in a recent study of 8 to 16 year olds viewed porn whilst doing their homework on the, on the laptop. Andy Ralcon says this, giving a teenager, a teenage boy, unfiltered internet access is like having putting a pile of magazines under his bed and asking him not to look at them. And it isn't just an issue for boys, girls too. And the largest consumer for porn is 11 to 17 year olds. But it's closely followed by all the other age categories right up to into the 70s and 80s. Parents, we need to be talking to our kids about sex. I remember my mum and dad never talking to me about sex, but then when they found me doing things that I shouldn't be doing they then took the moment it's almost like they were surprised that I'd that I'd I hadn't absorbed a sexual a Christian sexual ethic well you never talked to me about it how am I going to know the other thing about porn that it is why it's so addictive is because it rewires your brain so do you know like when you learn to drive a car you have all these different things. You've got the gear stick, you've got the brakes, you've got, you've got your left foot, you've got your right foot, you've got indicators, you've got mirror, 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 check. You've got all these different... And it's, it's draining learning to drive a car. But over time, and as you do it more and more and more, your brain makes these fast pathways to basically make shortcuts because it wants it to it wants to make it easier for you it wants to like make shortcuts so that you don't it's not so uh, draining for you um f- for your energy and so your brain is literally rewired so that you know if you've been driving for more than 10 years you probably don't ever even think about it all the time you're doing all these multi-million different processes and it's because your brain has been wired it's it's made these fast highways so that the signals can go really fast and it's it's had to part like you know um yeah track a path through your brain to make those links every single time you watch porn endorphins are released chemicals are released to make these pathways and these highways and so it means that you can walk into a room at a particular time uh, a particular yeah a particular time a particular place and your body can start to arouse you because it's making a shortcut because oh I know at this time at this place in this room um after this meal or whatever oh, this is what that person's going to do. And so what happens is you can get arousal. The amazing thing about the Bible, it, tells, it says don't conform anymore to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God is able to rewire your brain, to renew your mind, to help you even in this area. And then what's even worse and what makes it even harder is that we can have shame and guilt and 
you know, because of our life stages, you know, whether you're a father or a husband, whether you're, you work in a church or whether you are a ministry leader or whatever it is you might be doing, you, you know, you can think, oh, but people should expect better than me. And it's so easy to, for it to be a dark, hidden secret. And I believe God wants us to bring it into the light. Are you a slave to addiction? If you are, you're not the only one. 95% of men in the UK, probably it's probably more than that now, are addicted, but in the last study, 95% are addicted to porn or view it, view it at least once a week. Do you know what? The statistics also show that it's no different in churches. And so for men and women, Steps is a great course that can help us to let go of these things that enslave us and bind us up. And I'm just going to ask that question. Have you hardened your heart in this area of life? What does letting go of this look like for you? For Pharaoh, he he heard Jesus speak to him. And sometimes he was like, yeah, I've sinned, I've done wrong. But very quickly, he hardened his heart and he didn't take action. What does action look like? for you let's not be like pharaoh let's not be like people who hear god speaking to us and then build our house on the sand and just don't put it into practice let's be people that build our house on the rock who take the time to put things into practice have accountability bring things into light have prayer talk to other people get people around you go on steps course do things that can unbind us that can unstick us from these things that so easily entangle so easily kill steal and destroy the amazing news is there's great mercy to be found in jesus jesus says all who come and call on the name of the lord will be saved jesus says the wages of sin is death but hey the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus jesus has come to draw you out of bondage to draw you out of slavery to sin out of bad thinking and into a future and into a hope, into his presence, into sonship and adoption, into a status as a child of God and and an identity as a loved one, an eternal one, a secure one, one who has eternal security, one who can run into his loving arms, into an inheritance that never perishes, spoils or fades. And he bids you come, come to me, my darling. Let go of the things that, that you're holding onto, that you're grasping hold of, and follow me. Next week we'll hear about the Passover and how he came as a spotless lamb to make a way. But for now, let's come before our Heavenly Father. Let's pray to him. Let's thank him. There's a word at the beginning of church on Sunday, which is all about stop snoozing the alarm clock. Speak to the Lord. Let him know, here I am, your servant. I'm listening. As we go into this week of prayer and fasting, I'm praying for everyone in Hope Church. I'm praying for you, my brothers and my sisters. I'm asking God that he will fill you with the fruits of the Holy Spirit, like peace and patience and self-control, that you might live life to the full in him, letting go of those things that so easily entangle and slave and bind and stepping into and grasping hold of his inheritance, his future, his hope. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for all those that were with us on Sunday morning and all those that have caught up on this recording now today. And I just pray, Lord God, help us to be a people who hear Jesus calling, 
who, t- who tells us to let go of these things that so easily entangle and come running to you. Lord, we don't want to be like Pharaoh and have hard hearts where we hear the word, where we respond, but then we change our minds. Help us to be people who put the, our desires, these things that we want. Help us to be people that put these into action. Help us to be people who, yes, we know the spirit is willing. We know the, the flesh is weak. Help us, Lord God. Fill us with your spirit. Give us courage and boldness and strength. Help us to, to be accountable. Help us to bring things into light and to step forward into all you've called us to. And Lord, we thank you that you are a merciful God. Thank you that your mercies are new every day. Thank you that when we pray for forgiveness, you are faithful to forgive. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we, we know your grace and your love in our lives. Help us, Lord, out of your grace to, uh, to step into all that you've called us to because of all that you have done for us. In your heavenly name, amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.